what a great reminder, isn't it? That he came to save and uh, not to condemn, but to save us. We need to be rescued. This time we'll go ahead and dismiss the kids. And so they can make their way uh, with our team. Our team's going to do a special kind of a children's church or a program for them. We call it the great outdoor adventure. And, um, but, uh, actually being here, we could probably really go outdoors. It's just beautiful outside, but, uh, we're going to stay inside for that. And so really K4, K3, all the way up through, actually we do it up through the sixth grade. So if you want, if you're, if you're older, you want to go up to sixth grade, we can do that as well too. Just make your way on out, uh, with our team members and, uh, and we'll be done there in just a bit. Take your Bibles this morning and go with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter five, return to a gospel here. Uh, I'm so thankful for. Um, just this opportunity again to be with you. This is not normal for us. I think as last year as we were able to come and uh, normally for us, we're on kind of a rotation sometimes basis with churches and different regions. Obviously, if we're going to travel to a region, we need to be kind of in that region versus to go from South Carolina to California, back to Florida or up into Wisconsin, you know what I'm saying? And so the nature of our traveling, we try to stay regional so sure enough, just a handful of weeks ago, we made our way and worked our way into Phoenix from South Carolina. And then uh, really after the new year, we began in Phoenix over multiple churches in Phoenix. And then we went over up into Farmington, New Mexico, and, uh, and then came back into Phoenix again. And then we came here. And uh, so it kind of makes me laugh as, as Ben tells you, hey, support their ministry. They're going to Hawaii. You know, yeah, right. You know what I mean? And uh, that's what I'm thinking. You know, I'm thinking I wouldn't support that. You know, I want to go, you know, whatever. Um, it's interesting that we're going to be on the big island and uh, we fly out Tuesday. Uh, we'll be gone uh, for about two and a half to three weeks as we're working with uh, four different ministries specifically. There may be a fifth one that's popped in there and near the end we'll kind of see. Um, but the four churches, there's one main mother church. A uh, church of maybe about 80 people, and, um, and they're the ones mainly supporting us for this. Uh, we'll actually be at a church in Kona, and the church in Kona that we'll be in will only be probably 20 people, uh, something like that. Uh, we, might, you know, we might triple the church because of that, because our team comes. And, um, and then uh, we'll do some even open-air stuff in the church with the church in Kona. It really is a church plant kind of a situation. Uh, we'll actually be another church, uh, on the Hilo side. That's the mother church. That's the main one. Then we'll, we'll even be going to, uh, a fellowship church that's, that's called, uh, I think Ocala fellowship. And, um, and it's, uh, it's a church of probably again, probably 20 people and, uh, located more on the Northern side of the big Island. How many of you have ever been to the big Island? The one called Hawaii. Okay. So some of you guys know this, uh, we're going there. This is actually not the perfect time of the year to go either. Um, because it's their rainy season and Hilo is always rainy. And so you, if you look right now on the forecast in Hilo, you will see as far as the eye can see rain, you'll see rain. And so this is not just, they get rain every day normally, but now they're getting like uh, rain from, from things coming in there. And so that's happening. And, uh, and then the Kona side typically is the dry side of the island. And so we'll be kind of multiple churches there. There's even a Christian school that we're working with uh, as well. And uh, it's kind of an open Christian school. You don't have to be a Christian in order to go to it. And uh, so it gives us an opportunity even more for the sake of the gospel. Uh, and then we'll come back here and we're going to take a, a spring break at that point because we've been go, 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 go. And uh, even though we probably should take our spring break in Hawaii, but we weren't very smart. And so we're coming back here. And, uh, and then the team members kind of disperse a little bit and then we get back together and we'll end up being St. George, Utah, uh, for a couple of different weeks there. One is a church plant, one's a mother church as well. Uh, we'll end up working our way into Nevada up into, I think Montana or something like that too. So eventually we're kind of working our way across through, through kind of that Midwest region. 
pray for us. Our normal rotation is three to four years. And so for us to be back here a year later uh, is awesome. It's super exciting. And uh, I've actually started my doctoral um, in expository preaching with, uh, at MacArthur's place there at, at Grace. And so I'm kind of around. So I may be around in the summer at some point for two weeks and then another week in January and those kind of things. That, and that's happening as well. Uh, so this is a – you guys are friendly faces uh, you are, you for us are like consider uh, our family, and uh, we are so thankful to be a part. Yesterday was an amazing day. How many of you were part of yesterday at some point out there? Okay, and what a day, wasn't it? And to see all the faces and the final game, uh, not just the bigger game, but those little kids playing, man, that was, that was great to see. And it was dis, there was dispute going on even among that. We had to, had to do video footage of, of really was, the, was it really in, was the person really behind the line for, the, for his points. And so, I mean, everything about it was just it was super fun. The parents were having a great time. They were cheering, you know, and uh, it, was, it was just a, an awesome opportunity to, to once again connect with people in the community, we're constantly seeking to give out the gospel and to live out the gospel. And, and we can't expect just because you, you mow the lawn and the person sees how you maybe mow the lawn and they go, wow, you must be a Christian. Can you tell me about Jesus? Okay, that's not normal. That's not what happens when people watch you mow the lawn. Okay, and so we do live out the gospel, but we actually give out the gospel as well. And we seek to live worthy of this gospel. So Mark 5 is a passage that I'm taking you to. And what's interesting is I take you to this passage. We look at a person's life who is rad, their life was radically transformed by the gospel. And th- this is what the gospel does. This is when real salvation occurs. It really changes everything uh, within a person. It affects us, uh, the whole person. It's not just a, it affects you on a Sunday. It affects you all the time. As we look at this, we read about this man's life. It's Mark chapter 5 and verse 20. And it says, and he went away. And began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Everyone said, wow, who, you know, what happened to this guy? Now, when I say this, I want to bring us, and we're going to kind of look into the story. I'm going to walk my way through this in just a moment. But it's interesting, through the years uh, in ministry, I've often had people ask me the question, Jeremy, what is real salvation? So years ago was my first opportunity in the mid-90s to travel to the big island of Hawaii, which is not the one that everyone usually thinks of, uh, of Waikiki and Honolulu and those kind of things. This is the island. It's it's real big. All the islands can fit inside of it. The biggest city is, what, 30,000 or something like that, people, Hilo, and and then you got Kona. So it's basically two big cities there and uh, just spread out. But I went there. I was suffering for Jesus with a Christian camp. (laughs) And... um, so I was there in the summer. It's interesting because we, we really realized, you, you know, to, to invite unsaved to come to a Christian camp, I, I don't know, you know. So, so if we could use an avenue, so like yesterday, we use an avenue of sports, the same thing. We said, you know what, let's use soccer as an avenue there. All these kids play soccer. Let's use it as an avenue for the gospel. It'll be a Christian camp and it'll be a day camp from nine to about four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, they'll come play soccer from all different levels and different age groups and stuff too, as we put on this soccer camp in just a local park in the area. And it's interesting because within that, right before lunch, you had about a 20 minute time where you'd preach the gospel right after lunch, after you ate, there was a question and answer time of a small group. You kind of brought them into smaller groups. Therefore you could kind of talk about and explain the gospel and answer questions about the gospel. But all the rest from nine to four was really soccer. 
I mean, that's what they're doing. And so we're doing this because we had different soccer players from different places across the United States that we had, that we had for this and, 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 and there to be in Hawaii. You know, it's interesting because these guys would be Christians who knew the word well and could counsel well, but they were, they were gifted soccer players. And so sure enough, uh, these guys are there. And I remember it was probably the second day of camp where one of the counselors came up to me and it was right after lunch before the Q&A. And he said, Jeremy, just so you know, I can't lead a question and answer time. Now, my first thought was, okay, he's college age. He's trying to get out of his responsibility. You know, quit being lazy. You know, get in there and take that group or whatever. You know, this is kind of what's going through my mind as I'm kind of running the camp. And, but it's interesting because he came to me and then was very specific. He says, how can I lead a question and answer time on salvation if I'm not even saved myself? Well, out of all people who should be in Christ, it should be the real believer. You know, it should be the, the, the counselor. And so I'm like, okay, that's, that is a problem. Okay, so I had someone else take his group, and I began to talk to him individually, and he told me his story. Very interesting. He grew up in a Christian home, in a Christian family, where his dad, you could say, is prominent in ministry, often known as a conference style of speaker, gifted person. But it's interesting because he said, years ago, I was at a conference with my parents when I was little. And he said, and someone said, hey, we're so glad that your dad's here and your family's here. You're here. Hey, tell us how you got saved. He said, but I hadn't been saved yet. But I didn't want to look bad. I didn't want to lose face. So I told him a story. Actually, he told me the story that he said, and he actually, the story was very enjoyable. I mean, at certain times I was laughing within the story. I mean, it was a, he obviously had told this many times and, and he comes to the very end and supposedly cries out to the Lord on his own to be saved. And then he looks at me and says, can I tell you something that has never happened to me? I've told that story so many times that there was even a time in my life where I really believed my own lie that maybe, maybe it did happen. But he says, I'm being really honest with you right now. That's never happened to me. So I took him to scripture. You know, every passage I took him to, he could quote. You could say he was 18 inches from hell. Have you ever heard that terminology? The idea is that the person has all the mental understanding of salvation in their mind, but it's never really sunk down into their heart and really transformed their life. So there he was, like you could say 18 inches from hell in that sense. And you're going, well, this is significant. And then at the end, he just, he really, he just comes broken. He wants Christ to save him. He wants to trust in Christ and in him alone. And he humbles himself. He cries out to the Lord to be saved. And it seemed as though genuinely he, he came to Christ. We started watching his life shift as, as, the, as the weeks went on, as he worked with us through camps. But I look at this and I thought, you know, it's interesting. Again, I've often had that question, what is real salvation? So really this morning, what I want to do is this. I want to challenge you to do what scripture says, to examine yourself, to see if you be in the faith. That's actually a biblical thing. And actually the truth is, is there are many people that call themselves Christians who definitely are not. Now, there are people who go to church and have grown up within the assembly. I've heard many, many stories through the years of people telling me, listen, the guy's 70 years old. And he says, you know what just happened to me? I got saved six months ago, he says. And I grew up, I was a son, I, I taught in the, in the church. I, he goes, but I wasn't even saved. That, that's interesting. It can happen. And even among the 12, when you think about the 12, there was one Judas who no one suspected. When Jesus said this, it's interesting. They all said, is it me? No one went, oh man, that's definitely Judas. 
which tells you you can play the part really well. And I really believe this. I believe our churches, as we, as we minister around the country and even around the world, I believe our churches are actually filled with lost people. And some deceived into thinking that they are saved and trusting in all the wrong things and not trusting in Christ alone. So really, as I say this on my prayers, not to, to somehow, if you are in Christ, to make you feel like you're not, okay? But the truth is, I think this passage of Scripture will do one of two things. If you're not in Christ, and we begin to see this unfolded, my prayer would be that God would convict you, and he would, he would convert you, that you would go, you know, I don't want my sin, I want Christ. I need Messiah to save me. And you trust in Christ as your Lord, as your Savior. But the other side of it is maybe you're here as a believer and you struggle with this whole idea of, I mean, am I really in Christ or not? And, and how do I know it's happened to me? So really, I'm going to answer two questions this morning. First one is this, what is real salvation? And the second one is, how do I know it's happened to me? And I think we'll see this right in the passage. Let me pray and ask God's help, okay? Lord, thank you so much for my friends here today. I think about all the special things that have happened this weekend. I think about yesterday and the seeds planted and, the, and watered. And God, you're in charge of this increase. So God, we ask, bring it. Bring the increase, Lord. Bring people to saving knowledge of Christ. I pray this morning the same, that you would stir our hearts. And I think about, about even this evening as well, that you would work in our lives and grow us further in our spiritual life. But God, right now, I ask, Lord, if there's someone in this room, and Lord, statistically, there would be, there would be many in this room, actually, who would not know Christ. I ask God, would you open up their eyes to spiritual truth and warm their heart to the gospel that they would repent and believe in and upon Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God, save souls. And Lord, encourage us as believers to live worthy uh, of this gospel. So thank you, God, for what you're going to do. Empower me, please, God. Use this next moment for just your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Look at Mark chapter 5 and verse 1. It speaks and it talks about Jesus and his disciples on a, on a journey. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. So they're coming to a region, and it's not on accident. Which if you're taking any kind of notes here this morning to help you out, maybe to kind of be alert or stay, stay awake or whatever too, which, which brings me to this point right, right from the very beginning. Number one, real salvation begins when God pursues you. It really begins with God. It's interesting. Sometimes we look at salvation the opposite way. We, we go, well, listen, I mean, I, you know, prayed that or, or I went to church or this happened to me and this. And we kind of look at it as from man's perspective. But I'm saying, well, wait, 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 excuse me. Pull back a moment here because salvation always begins with God. When you consider mankind, even in the garden of, you know, of Eden, here they are in a perfect environment. And, and they have this perfect walk with God and fellowship. And then what happens? They break his law. They sin. They rebel against God. The moment they rebelled, they didn't run to God and say, God, help us, please. We, we, we need you so bad. Help us. Rescue us. No, they ran from God. They hid. They covered themselves over with leaves. And God in his kindness pursued them and said this, where are you? Now, why did he say that? Did he not know? Like, man, where are those people hiding? They're, they're like really good. You know, where, where are they in this garden? Now, he knew exactly where they were, and the whole point was this, is that he was wanting them to be honest and open about their own condition. Where are you? Truth is, is you see God pursuing them. Actually, hold your spot in the scripture here. Look, maybe a couple pages over to the book of John as you work your way to John chapter 6. Look at John chapter 6 for a moment and see verse 44. 
Jesus himself is speaking here and he says this in John 6 verse 44. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who has sent me draws him. Whoa. And then he says, and I will raise him up on the last day. Interesting, no one comes to the Lord unless God draws him. Interestingly enough, as we consider even the way God works, it's sometimes, again, we think, well, I prayed this, I did this. And yet, let me remind you, the scripture is very, very clear. You didn't love him first. Remember, scripture says, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. This is God. This is God in his pursuit. This is no random accident. Actually, go back to Mark 5 and verse 1. No random act of Jesus where he got up in the morning, maybe tired and went, oh, man, what should we do today? Oh, let's go to Gadara. Let's go to that region. Yeah, no, he didn't do that. That wasn't on accident. Everything Jesus did was on divine timetable. There were people in the region that needed to be saved. And yet here is, here is God through Christ. The very gospel is going to really pursue them. I mean, actually, if any of you are here today and you've really, truly come to Christ, you look at your own life and you begin to see, wait a second, God orchestrated people and situations and events to bring me to a saving knowledge of Christ. We see this happen consistently throughout the ministry. Remember, even when we first began, actually, we were in Washington State. I, I talked to a pastor and his assistant. I said, hey, listen, you guys have said, is there anybody in your church here that's not a believer today? I mean, I'm an evangelist. I get excited about preaching the gospel. And, and so I'm um, in the front talking to these guys. And they're right in the front. Literally, they, they said, hey, there's a, guy in the, there's a guy in the back back there. And they kind of pointed to that direction. I said, he's a, it, the, the assistant said, he's a friend of mine from high school. I haven't seen him. Since high school, I don't know what he's doing here. It's been over 10 years. He says, the truth is, he goes, as, as much as I know, I don't, I, don't, he's, I don't think he's in Christ, and I'm glad he's here. I, so that morning as I preach the gospel, I'd respond, you know, just kind of say, does anyone want to talk to somebody even at the end of the, the message? Actually, this guy responds and wants to go talk to somebody. The pastor actually talks to him for a moment and has him talk to his assistant, which is actually his friend. That's kind of cool from before. So now his friend is actually sharing the gospel. And this guy, in response to the gospel, then he needs Christ and he humbles himself. And he says, I don't want my sin. I want Christ. He, he responds to Jesus and, and seemingly truly gets saved. And afterwards, his friend just says, man, how did you even know to come here today? That's like exciting. I'm glad that you're here. But how did you know? He said, I don't know what it's been, but for the last couple of months, I've just, I've just been very inquisitive towards the things of God. He said, and then I, um, I would go to churches, but he says this. He said, all I seem to get is fluff. Well, that's interesting. Then he says this. He said, um, I stumbled across a website called sermonaudio.com. He's basically, that, you know, it's here in sermons, but he, he said, I heard a guy, it sounded like this guy, you know, and it wasn't me, but he was saying he heard the gospel. And in the midst of the gospel message, you know what the guy says? He says, you need to go to a good Bible believing church. So the guy says, I Googled Bible believing church, Pasco, Washington, where I'm from there. And he says, and I came up with first Baptist church of Pasco. I showed up that morning, sure enough to hear an evangelist give a gospel message and he gets saved. And I'm like, Man can't orchestrate that. And we, we see this kind of stuff happen consistently where you're going, are you kidding me? How God orchestrates people and situations and events. And it's just amazing how God does this. And if you have been saved, you look back at your own life and you see how God did this. Maybe at work and people approaching you or maybe through a church or whatever, you start coming. It's like God's giving you, you know, a, a new a desires towards him. It's God pursuing. That's God's kindness. And I say this, if you are here today and you're without Jesus, this is no accident that you're in this service. 
that God in his kindness and his love is pursuing you. I, I think about that. That's, that's amazing that he would do this. But yet look further. Because again, number one, that real salvation begins when God pursues you. But number two, real salvation can only happen when you come to grips with your sin. Now, as I say this, look at verse two closely. Mark five, verse two says, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. What does that mean? He was demon possessed. You could say he was demonized. Now, when you get saved, consider this, the moment you really repent and trust in Christ, the the scripture tells us that the, that God gives to us his spirit, the spirit of almighty God lives inside of you, his Holy spirit. If you're not saved, you don't have his spirit, okay? But this guy did not just not only have, he didn't have the spirit of God. This guy was possessed with an evil spirit, an unclean spirit. What's that? It's a fallen angel. He was demon possessed. Um, verse three, he lived among the tombs. Well, that's odd. I mean, I don't know if any of you live in the middle of a graveyard. Uh, you know, that's, that would be odd. But he lived among dead bodies. And that area is a dry area, mountainous region, been there. And it's interesting because you had caves and stuff like that too where they would often place the bodies of people. And yet here is a person. And he's not really, in this passage, the, the, it, you have Mark who focuses on the one guy. But the truth is there's many of these, of these demoniacs, you could say, demon-possessed people who live among dead bodies. He lives among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Now, let's talk about a messed up guy. I mean, they're chaining him up. I mean, that, you know, they're trying to restrain him. And yet in the power of the demon, he could break chains. And he would lash after people. I mean, you, you could die going in this region because this, these people could kill you in a heartbeat. And remember one angel over one evening in the old Testament killed 185,000 warriors. So you, you don't want to mess with angels and you don't want to mess with a fallen angel, a demon either. Don't do, you don't want to mess with that. Okay. And so the truth is though, here, this guy is, he's breaking chains again. Why would you chain up a person? You know, uh, we were in, we were in Phoenix, uh, and at some point, uh, I think when I was coming here for the classes or whatever too, and I came back, I flew back in January, um, my wife and the kids, they went to a petting zoo in Phoenix. That's kind of cool. Um, you know, they didn't have in the petting zoo, they didn't have full grown lions and tigers and bears. And you're like, oh my, you know, they didn't have any of that. Well, I mean, because you could be devoured. I mean, you, and they, what, so what do they do? They put them in an in a, in a enclosed area, a structure that there's no way that you could be it, it devoured. And so the nature of, of this is why would you chain up a person? Because of the strength of the demon. Again, he could break chains and he could kill you. And so you have this going on. And then again, nobody could restrain him. Nobody could subdue him. Except Christ. This just show you know what this is showing you that Jesus has all power. He is creator God in human flesh. He has all strength and all power to subdue any person. He can break the hardest of hearts 
And yet the reality is you look at this and go, this is amazing. Here he is. He's, he, and no one could subdue him. And then it says in verse 5, and night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out. Literally, he's shrieking out. He is bruising himself with stones, cutting himself with stones. Okay. Now, no one who is truly happy in life does that to themselves. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Um, cutting themselves with stones, bruising themselves, that makes no sense normally. But there are people in our modern day. This is, this is, this is modern day, isn't it? Okay, what, what do people do? Okay, it, it's, it's a person cutting themselves. So you got back in that day. So here's a guy, sharp objects, scrape, raping it across his skin, scraping it, smashing himself at different times. But it's interesting because he's hurting himself. And let me remind you, okay, about counseling. If you ever help or try to help people, the rule of thumb in counseling is this. Hurting people hurt people. So why would the guy be doing this? Because he's hurting. Why do people cut themselves? In our modern day, it's the same kind of thing, isn't it? You have people, and they'll take a sharp object, maybe not for the purpose of suicide, but they're raking across their skin. And it's not because their life is, is, is perfect. Because their life, in, seemingly inside, they're going through major ordeal and it's struggle. And instead of them looking to the Lord and saying, dear God, help me through these trials and struggles. And I want to depend upon you. And I want you to take me through these things and use it in my life to help others even as well. But God, change me into your image through the trial. No, they're not doing that. They're, they're not looking to God. They're looking to self. And so because they can't control the hurts that are all around them, they take a sharp object and begin to hurt themselves because they can focus on something that they can control. Actually, it's, it's, it's really is pride. It's sin. And I'm, not, and I'm not to say that their life is not in shambles and there's not real hurts. There's legitimate hurts. But the truth is you look at this and you see this person and you might be tempted to go, well, <clears throat> Jeremy, that's not me. I mean, okay, I don't live in a graveyard. <laughs> you know, um, and, um, you know, I, uh, I, I, no one is chaining me up. You know, I don't have one of those white jackets, you know, that clasps in the back with a padded room, you know? So, so, I mean, really, I mean, I might get a little angry, but I'm definitely not demon possessed. Jeremy, that this is not, that's not me. And I'm saying, well, wait, 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 actually that is you. And that is me before salvation. The reality is what are, what are we characterized? We're characterized by our sinful condition. We are broken people. We need to be healed. We need God to save us. If you could save yourself, you wouldn't need Jesus and there'd be no purpose for Jesus coming. But because you can't save yourself, this is why Jesus came. The nature of you seeing this person is a person who has to come to grips with their own sin. And I will tell you this, nobody will truly be saved from their sin until they really come to grips with their sin. One of the songs that we do on the road sometimes is we sing in churches and, and tonight we'll do some songs for you tonight as well. But it's interesting. One of them is a song, Rock of Ages. There's a rendition that we've, that we've been doing that's not the normal tune to it. And it's interesting because it's made me think of the words unlike, any, unlike before. And yet within the song, it's saying, listen, nothing in my hands I can bring. Because nothing we offer God uh, that somehow, you know, that, 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 that somehow pleases God or takes away our sin. 
It's simply to the cross I can cling, he's saying. He's saying, I feel naked, I feel exposed, I need to come to you for dress. He, and like at some point it's saying, uh, in all my zeal, no respite, no. What is that saying? It's saying, with all this zealous work for God, I couldn't find respite, I couldn't find peace, and all my tears, that's where I was. They kind of forever flowed, but I couldn't find rest. Until in the song, the songwriter says this, Wash me, Savior, or I die. And that's the moment of true conversion. That's the moment of genuine repentance and faith in Christ. But I think about this and I think about, you know what? Sometimes maybe some of you have grown up and you grew up in a kind of a Christian home. Maybe you you say, well, yeah, Jeremy, I mean, I'm a sinner, but I mean, who isn't? And there's a difference between going, yeah, yeah, I am this, but who's not, you know, whatever. But have you ever had God put pressure on you? In other words, you're thinking, wash me, Savior, or I die. I could go up behind Carrie here, and I could put pressure on his shoulders, kind of give him a little weight on the shoulder like that. You know, the older I get, the, the, older I get, the heavier the weight gets. You know what I mean? I put a little pressure. Now, in doing that, you know, the truth is he, starts, he feels pressure. God, when a person is, is coming to Christ, you know what God starts doing? God starts putting some serious pressure on you. Where you realize if he doesn't save me from my sins, I won't make it. Now, we all sin, don't we? I mean, sin is breaking God's laws. We say sometimes in a kid's version, sin is anything you think or say or even do that displeases God. I mean, there's a, you can sin all kinds of ways. We can sin with our mouth. Every last one of us in this room have said things we wish we could take back. And, and we've hurt people with our speech. Um, we, we've done things with our life we wish we had never done as we look back at life. And uh, I mean, it's amazing how we can sin with our life, our lips, our, our mind. You can sin in your own mind. We were born sinners. Did you know that? Some people don't want to admit that. And uh, you were definitely born a sinner. If you don't think you're born sinful, then you obviously have never had kids. <laughs> or we say it this way. You've never worked in a church nursery with a long-winded preacher. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because if you have, you'll realize, man, kids are born bad. You know what I mean? You can't believe that they're doing this. And, um, and, and yet, as we get older, we sin. But, but there's a point where all of a sudden God starts putting that pressure on you. A couple of weeks ago in a, a church in Phoenix, a, a girl uh, responded to the gospel and she said, you know, she said, I've grown up and I've heard the gospel, but basically in her mindset, just never really sensed the weight of sin. She knew she needed to be saved in a sense, but you know, she basically, her, someone told her, she responded to the message one time. She said, I kind of responded to this message, gospel message. And the person with all good intentions sat down with me, kind of explained the gospel and then kind of prayed for me and then kind of walked away and, and said, congratulations and hugged me and all this stuff too. She says, I, 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 in my heart, I never cried out to the Lord. I, I don't, I don't, you know, so now all of a sudden for a long time, she thought, well, maybe I am saved. But wait, and so she's trusting in what this lady says for years. She's in Bible college. And she says, I'm not going to trust in what that lady says. I need Christ. I, I say this 
has, has God ever so put the pressure on you to help you realize how are you going to get your sins taken away? That was the whole point of yesterday, to kind of say to a community of people who are trying to earn their way in some way to say, how do you get your sins taken away? And you stand before a holy God. And yet the truth is, is God in heaven says nothing will enter into it that will defile it. You got a sin issue. You need them taken away and doing good things doesn't wash away your bad things. This is this dilemma. This is why Christ came. He came to save you, as she's saying. So as you look at this passage, number one, real salvation begins when God pursues you. Number two, uh, real salvation can only happen when you come to grips with your sin. But number three is this, real salvation will happen when you turn from your sins to Christ and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. I kind of want to say this, this repentance and faith. As you consider even the beginning of Mark, he made it very clear. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. There's a sense of saying, I don't want my sins. I'm turning from my sin to Messiah. I'm trusting in Messiah and him alone to be saved. It's not just a mental change in your mind, but that mental change leads to a whole change of direction. You're saying, I don't want my sin. I want Christ. Save me. And, I, and, I'm, and you're giving him your heart and life. You're trusting in him as your Lord, as your Savior. That's what scripture teaches. Now, it's interesting about this. We read more in this passage and we don't, we don't actually see this transaction in a sense occur. Watch, watch as I go further. Okay, watch. But we know something happens, but we don't quite see it. Verse, verse, um, verse 6. So he's crying. He's cutting himself with stones. Okay. But then verse 6 says this. And when he saw Jesus um, from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Okay. What would you do if you were with Jesus? Okay. This is a frightening place. I mean, even the disciples would have said, Jesus, don't you know, this is not the best place to, to park the boat. I mean, these, most of them were professional fishermen. They knew the Lake of Galilee very, very well, the Sea of Galilee. So sure enough, Hey, you know, Jesus, they probably would have said, Jesus, this is not a very good region. You know, there are like demoniacs here. There are people, they can kill us. I mean, the power, ah, and, and Jesus, what if we just take the boat and go down another mile, get out of this kind of region, you know, but, but the, the whole point is this is now all of a sudden you look up and here comes a demoniac and he's not walking your way nonchalantly. <laughs> he's running, you know, you're, ah, what would you do? I think I would say like, Jesus, you know, get real close to Jesus. Here he comes. Stop him. Stop him. You know, and, or maybe I'd be like, Jesus, <laughs> you're on your own and then run off. You know, I don't know, but I, I'm like, I, you know, I've trained in martial arts, but you can't, you can't defeat a demon possessed person. You know what I mean? But Jesus is not afraid. The man comes and he drops, he drops in worship. I mean, you know why the demons, they know who Jesus is. They tremble at him. Maybe not only that here, here's maybe the guy in his own heart realizing he needs to be rescued. But the idea is that he drops before him in worship, verse 7, and crying out with a loud voice said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now, you can imagine this. It's a guttural voice coming out of a person. And I, when I think about this, I remember being in Haiti. I know that some of you guys had just recently been to Haiti. I remember asking the missionary, because we were kind of more in the bush or kind of further out, I think, than where you guys were. But I remember at that point in time asking the missionary the question, how often do you see a demon-possessed person? And without any hesitation, he said, every day. He said, my next-door neighbor, look at that. It's a, he's a witch doctor. Look at the flags he flies. Every flag he flies represents another demon he worships. 
He says, the lady who made your meal. You know, I said, you mean that little petite, little cute lady, you know? And, um, and he said, yeah, that little petite lady would throw grown men a distance. I mean, they could get nowhere near her. She was an angry, awful lady who was demon-possessed. And uh, obviously she had been saved. I mean, what a change. But it's interesting because you have this, do not torment me. And then again, a guttural voice coming out of the person. That's not really the person's voice. Look at the next verse, um, verse eight. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus is commanding this demon to come out. I mean, just to hear this interaction would, would give you nightmares probably for the rest of your life at times. I mean, just frightening. And yet Jesus then asked him, is, he said, what is your name? Now, have you ever considered this? this is the, I mean, this is really interesting, you know. <laughs> you know, hey, here he comes, you know, the demon possessed first. And he's running, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, don't torment me and come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then Jesus says, and uh, what's your name? You're really not good with names here. Like, what's your name? Like, that's an odd question. I mean, wouldn't Jesus know his name? Of course he would. He's Jesus. Why would he say, what is your name? And the point was not for Jesus. The point was for his disciples to see his power and for you and me to see his power. So he says, what is thy name? What is your name? And notice the guy's response because the guy responds in verse nine. He replied, my name is Legion. And notice this plural for we are many. A Roman legion of that day, 6,000 soldiers. This man did not just have a demon or two inside of him. He had so many demons inside of him. Maybe the head demon as the legion speaking out, saying, again, my name is Legion, for we are many. But the idea is, again, this guy's filled with many, many demons. And notice this, verse, verse 10, and he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Are you, are you catching this? If we can't be in the people, put us in the pigs. Do you think the devil cares for your soul? Do you think he cares for your soul? You know what, he, you know what his desire would be? That you would be eternally damned. That would be his will for your life. But if you're here today and you've actually been born again, the truth is, is, is you've been truly converted, you, you cannot be eternally damned, actually. But he could still deceive you. He could still destroy your life if you yield your mind and your heart towards the devil as a believer. If you're really not thinking the things of God and going God's way, you could fall prey to him. Not eternally damned, but it's interesting. If we can't be in the people, put us in the pigs. Let us enter into them. And then verse 15 or verse 13. So, so he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. I mean, some, the, some of the theologians say it this way, that, he, that they committed suicide. Actually, I've heard a bunch of jokes here, okay? Uh, yeah, they went to hog heaven, you know, deviled ham, you know, swine flu, or I don't know, you know, you got all kinds of stuff. 
But the idea here is this is, is, I mean, it caused a commotion. Now, you might would say this. I've had people say, well, Jeremy, don't you know the, the Jewish people should not be tending pigs? And I'm like, well, you're right, except for this is not a Jewish region at all. This is a Gentile place. So the truth is, is this is, you know, so these are Gentiles, okay? It caused a commotion in this region. But notice verse 14. The herdsmen fled, told it in the city and in the country, and the people came out to see what it, had, what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, and the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Okay, wait a second here. Something drastic happens to this person. And I'm going to say something here that, again, it may shock you, but here here it is, okay? Nowhere in this passage do you see this man praying the sinner's prayer. He didn't pray the lucky rabbit's foot prayer. I mean, how could he be saved? Now, I say this because I come from a culture in the southern culture, a a Bible belt. There, there's a lot of push towards this. Hey, just pray this. Just do this. Now, praise the Lord. I don't think that's where we kind of came from in that sense. But there, but there's still that's there. And that's everywhere. People just, hey, yeah, just pray this prayer. You know, I've had people tell me one guy said, yeah, you have this gospel track. And I kind of said, you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Okay, then just pray this with me. And and all of a sudden they do. And and I'm like, like, that's not even clear. And then all of a sudden, you know, they pray. See, they're in. Good job. Now sign here. You know, it's interesting. Many people trust not in Christ. They trust in an experience, a prayer, their own good works. People have told me, one lady in Tennessee said, I've been, I, yeah, I'm going to heaven. I said, how do you know? She says, because I've been baptized twice. <laughs> she says, first time in a Catholic church and second time in a Baptist church. She said, and I even have a brother-in-law who's a Baptist minister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I smiled and I was gentle with her, but I basically said, ma'am, you know, none of those, those are nice things, but none of those things wash away your sins. I mean, how does going underwater in front of people wash away your inward sin problem? We all know it doesn't. Actually, the criminal on the cross was never baptized. And Jesus said, behold, today you'll be with me in paradise. So the point is, what was he doing? He didn't do enough good works. How is he going to do good work? He was deserving of capital punishment. And yet he looked to Christ and Christ alone, trusting in God's Messiah because you couldn't do it yourself. You need Christ. This is the whole point. If you're here today and you're the Messiah, well, then you're okay, okay? But the whole point is, you know you're not the Messiah. That's why you need the Messiah. That's why Jesus came. And God in his love sent Jesus. And Jesus in his love, he came and willingly was sacrificed and rose from the dead to conquer sin and conquer death and conquer hell as the perfect human sacrifice for the human, the perfect lamb of God. That's Christ. Who died on Passover. Hello, if you know, I mean, everything about the life and death and resurrection of Christ is just so miraculous and so timing of God. You'd have to be an idiot to somehow miss it. But we do because we're so messed up in our own sin. But I look at this and I'm telling you, when a person begins to realize and they come to grips with their own sin and they turn to Christ alone, we realize it is repentance and faith. It is turning to Christ because you couldn't do it yourself. It's actually repenting. It's trusting in Christ. And I like as even Romans chapter 10 or chapter 9 or chapter 10 verse 9 says this, says that if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. 
It's the person who's, who's saying, listen, it's not just, hey, Jesus, kind of save me. It's saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. You are the Savior, and I'm submitting to you. I want you to save me. It's a repentant heart and faith in Christ. Repentance is not a work that you do. It's actually a gift from God, just like faith. God grants him the gift of repentance. God stirs within your heart faith. I mean, the nature of if you're here today and God is working in your life, the truth is you're saying, I don't want my sin. I want Christ to save me. And you have a responsibility on your part to repent and believe the gospel. I look at this and I'll tell you, there are many people who have heard this message and know this in their mind, but are unwilling. Even yesterday, even some was speaking of how they kind of confront one or talking to some of the who actually had raised their hand towards things. And some to the point of saying, I, I'm just not ready. And even saying, I'm just not ready. Again, you might live to be 80 years old, but you're not promised tomorrow. So God, as he works in your life, don't, don't push us off. Today's the day of salvation. I like as my my preacher friend says this. He says, you know what? He said, tomorrow is the devil's day, but today is God's day. Today's the day of salvation. Don't push it off if God's working in you and you've never genuinely trusted in Christ and him alone. Turn to him. And here's the last thing. You might be saying, well, Jeremy, I think that's happened to me, but how do I know? Okay, this is awesome. Okay, as we conclude this story, look at verse 15. Verse 15 shows us, we see uh, how does a person been truly saved? Well, verse 15, it says this, if, if they've really had this happen to them, watch what it says. Here's the results. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion. He is sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Okay, whoa, 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 wait. He didn't sit before. I mean, they had to chain him up, and they were afraid of the region. But no, he's sitting, and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Christ. Now, that's interesting. So he's, he's sitting. He is clothed. Actually, the, if you read the parallel passage in Luke, the guy was not clothed. Actually, he ran around naked. I mean, you could say he, had, he was messed up. He was, a, he was a rude dude in a crude mood in the nude, okay? I mean, he had some serious <laughs> issues, okay? But I say this to you to say, here he is though now, and he is clothed. And he's also in his right mind. Because before you're saved, you're actually not in your right mind. Did you know that? You're actually alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in you because of the blindness of your heart. When you get saved, God then places you in your right mind. And that mind as a true believer is constantly being renewed, isn't it? Through the scripture. But you look at this and go, here's a person who now is in his right mind. He is clothed. He is sitting there at the feet of Jesus. And they were afraid. Whoa, whoa, like something has happened to him. You know why? How do you know you're saved? Your life changes. Your life changes. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, even a new creation. Old things are passed away. Literally, all things are becoming new. Your life changes. And the Christian life, it demands change. That God who began that good work in you will bring it to completion. I mean, it's amazing. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? It's not saying work for it. It's saying because God's worked it in you, you work it out. Why? Because God is at work in you, but the will and to do of his good pleasure. So here's God. He's energizing. He's, he's working in you and you're humbling yourself and responding to the nature of, or the, the gospel itself and the word itself. So your life is changing. If you call yourself a Christian and your life never changes, then you're not a Christian. Because true Christianity brings about real change. Are you more like Christ this year than last? 
What's God doing to change you? I look at this and say, not just, a, not just that your life changes, but if you go even further, look at verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pig. So they're talking about this. And verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Like, what? Are you kidding me? He's the Savior. Hey, your power scares us. Leave. This just shows you the depravity of mankind and pushing us away. Praise God. Later in his ministry, as he returns to this region, you're going to see a warm welcome. And I really think it's through this guy. But you look at this interesting verse, verse 18. And he was getting into the boat and the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Jesus, where are you going? I'm not staying here. Can I go with you, please? Please. I see a guy with tears. Don't leave me. Let me come. This shows a second evident sign. How do you know you're saved? Not only does your life change, but your desires change. Do you realize that before you're saved, you know, why come to church? Well, you know, maybe a good business deal, maybe a relationship, you know, maybe a friend's going to be there, but, but to really go to know God. No, what are you talking about? You know, like Jeremy, you know, quit it, land the plane, man. You know, like this is taking too long. You know, like, ah, you know, it's like it church becomes a chore before you're saved reading your Bible personally. Like you're like, I can't even you know, they say that Jeremy, I can't even understand it. It makes no sense to me. And I'm thinking, and I tell him, listen, do you know the Bible actually speaks to that? It says that the natural person before they're saved does not receive the things of the spirit of God. Neither could he or she know them because they're spiritually discerned. If you don't have the spirit of God in you, it's like a blank book. And that's maybe where some of you are. You go, you know what? I don't understand why people get all excited. And to come to church back on a Sunday night? Are you kidding me? Like, we could be at Walmart. You know what I mean? But when you get saved, you're, you, it's like you can't get enough of it. You, you want more. And I'm not saying there's no battle between the flesh and the spirit as a, as a believer. But I'm saying that the desires change. God shifts your desires. And there, there are some of you who have no real desire towards the things of God. You need to be saved. Salvation changes your life. It changes your desires. Actually, there's an element of obedience. Notice verse 19. Jesus even says to him, he says, and and, um, he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He had this compassionate mercy on you. Go tell people. And you know what the guy doesn't do? The guy doesn't go, oh, man. You know, it's like I had other things to do. No, actually, the guy, is he responds in obedience. Look at verse 20. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. What is it saying here? This man, he longs to obey the Lord. That's another evident sign. God tells him to do this and he doesn't go, ah, his commands aren't grievous. No, he wants to obey. It's like he longs to do the will of God. And not just that, it's this whole idea of even sharing the gospel. A person who gets saved, man, not only their life changes, desires change, you want long to obey the Lord, but you want to tell people. That's normal for real believers. We want to share the good news. Now, we might shy away at times, but it's our heart's desire to say, no, I want people to know, and I want to share the good news. So here's a guy, he's evangelistic, but not just evangelistic, because it says he went and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Do you realize that word Decapolis 
is actually a word. It's showing you it's a league of 10 cities. I remember going to Israel and going to a couple of the cities in the Decapolis. It's a league of 10 cities. The wicked man meets the wonderful master and becomes like a witnessing machine. I mean, he just wants to tell people. How do you know salvation has happened in your life? These things, your life changes, desires change. You long to tell people. You long to, to obey the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Is this you? I, I think for the true believer, you go, man, that, like that's happened to me. But maybe you're here and God in his kindness is putting on your heart what's called conviction. That's the guilt of God. Where God is saying he's drawing you to himself. He's saying forsake your sin. And trust in the Savior. Turn to Christ. Let him save you. This is why he came. He died on the cross. Not for his own sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Was buried. And he rose from the dead. He conquered sin. And death. And hell. This is, this is the good news. This is the gospel. Has this happened to you? Has this happened to you? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we conclude here today. I always like to conclude with asking questions. It helps us consider the message we've just heard. I don't seek to embarrass anybody, but I want to know how to pray better for the audience that I've just preached to. But I wonder, maybe you're here today and you'd say, Jeremy, when you talked about how God pursues us, that happened to me. I began to come to grips with my own sin. I realized I couldn't save myself. I needed Christ and him alone. I actually repented and trusted in Jesus and him and just Jesus. I didn't trust in anything else, my good works or church or anything like that. I trusted in Christ and him alone. And Jeremy, he's, he saved me. His, my life has changed. My desires have changed. I, I, long to, I really do long to obey him. I, he, he's, he, he's put within my heart a desire to share the good news. Jeremy, I, I have been born again. This scripture actually gives confirmation in my heart. Jeremy, I have experienced genuine conversion. If that's true about you as a testimony, could you slip your hand up this morning? Jeremy, I think that that's me. You're talking about what's happened to me. Praise the Lord. And you can put your hands down. Now, again, that's something we're not ashamed of. But maybe you're here today and you couldn't raise your hand to that. Maybe in all honesty, you're looking at your life and you're, you're looking at what's happened. You, you feel like maybe, Jeremy, that hasn't happened to me yet. I think it takes humility and honesty to, to really go, I don't, that's not happened to me. But I would love to pray for you. I don't want to point you out. But I want to be able to pray for you. And by an upraised hand, you would say, Jeremy, would you pray for me? Because this hasn't happened to me yet. I don't think it's happened to me yet. And I'd like you to pray for me, please. I would love to pray for you. I won't point you out. I'm not causing you to go forward. I'm not saying join a church or anything like that. I'm just asking you if God is working your life and you haven't been saved yet and you want me to pray for you, would you just slip up your hand? I'll know to pray for you about that. Jeremy, pray for me. I don't think I've been saved yet. And this concerns me. Would you pray for me? Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Jeremy, pray for me. I don't think I've been saved yet. And this really concerns my heart. Would you just remember me in prayer? Jeremy, pray for me. Father, I thank you so much for those who have acknowledged that and their need. God, may they realize even through scripture today that it is not a prayer they pray. Yet as you stir their hearts, they cry out to you. God, I realize even now it may be that there's a heart that's ready 
to, to be saved. And God, as you've brought them to this point, I, I pray that they would not hold back even now as your word is clear. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. But it's not just to, to kind of pray. But Lord, as you've made it clear that we would confess you as our Lord, as our master, as our savior, as our king, that we would repent of our sins. We would turn from them to you and that God, you would save So, Lord, even now, for those that need Christ in this room, I ask, God, would you right now in their heart and their life do that work, and may they respond to you even right now where they are. God, stir them. Save them.